Welcome to Living Chassidus. Together, let's live the Chassidus we learn. You are all set. Okay, so firstly, I wanted, you told me that um, since the talk that we had, the Unity event, um, uh, that we did for the women, the Women's Unite, you started a chitas WhatsApp, right? Yes. This group. I cannot begin to tell you how that makes me feel because Baruch Hashem over the past like 25, 30 years have had opportunity to speak in a lot of places. And I usually do what I'm going to do tonight, which is my journey to Hasidus. When they called me, I did not want to do that talk. It was I was like not in a place to be inspiring. I did not want to even go to be inspired. I was just like, I want to dig a hole. This was like three days after October 7th. It was crazy. And the... I have gotten the most response to that speech from all my speeches in 30 years. I can't, you're part of a massive army. I can't even begin to tell you how many people started Chitas. It's mind boggling to me. And it just goes to show me that when you feel so uninspired and you don't want to do anything, that's sometimes the time to just say, I don't care how I feel. I'm going to do it anyway, because I did not think that four months later, people would still be telling me I started just Monday night. I did an event for women and it was not even like, an, it was a food demo. It was a cooking demo. It wasn't even like, and she, one of the women comes up to me. She's like, Giti, I'm still saying chitas plus you. And I'm like, I can't believe it that four months later, people are still talking about this, this six and a half minute speech that I gave that it's, it's just mind boggling. So that's the lesson that I learned. And I hope that you'll take that lesson also. It's wonderful when we can get inspired and, the rebel wants us to be inspired and Alter Rebbe wants us to be inspired and Hashem wants us to be inspired. And that's why there's so much that we have to inspire ourselves with. But sometimes we just have to be like, nah, shown, and we just have to jump in. And we just have to do it. Even though we're like, this is terrible. This is not going to work. I'm not going to. And you just jump in and crazy things happen from that. Like crazy, awesome things that are totally beyond what we think is within our capabilities. And it just, it's really was so like shown to me so clearly now. And I, I want to thank you. I want to thank you. And I want to tell you that it will change your life. Doing a little bit every single day, connecting, centering yourself to Nigla, to Nister, a little bit of Tehillim. It, it just is after a year, after two years, you're like, wow, I went through the whole Chumash and Rashi twice. You know, I, I, I said Tehillim every month, like it's just, it, and it, and it, just your whole day is different. That's what I think, even though sometimes I do do it at night, I will say, <laughs> sometimes I don't get it in the morning, even though I love doing it in the morning, I try to do it in the morning. Um, so I really, you're, you're part of something so much bigger. Do it for yourself, but also you should know that you're part of an incredible army. Um, I also had the opportunity to go to Eretz Yisrael since October 7th. My husband has been there three times, <laughs> um, but I personally had an opportunity to go and, um, the soldiers there, we had an opportunity to go visit quite a few bases. And the soldiers there, even the most Chiloni soldiers, are so nispal from us when we tell them that we're davening for them and we're thinking about them. And for them to know that Yidin all over the world are actively working and trying to protect them. We gave Achitas cards actually to every soldier. And I really thought 
that a lot of them would be like, and I was a little nervous because my kids were there also and they were getting out and I was worried that they would be rebuffed. And as mama bear, I, I didn't want them to feel like, you know, kind of dampened, but the most, you know, the soldiers who looked like they'd be the most uninterested were the ones who were so excited. And when we asked them, you know, how they're doing and if they're scared, the morale on the bases is incredible, by the way. I can't even begin to tell you. It's the energy there is beyond, beyond. But they're all like, like, Mapitom, Hashem is watching us. We're on Hashem's side. Like, what do you, like, it's just, it's incredible. And we're doing that. We're creating that. So I know that I know for myself, I don't, I don't know for anyone else, but I know that for myself, sometimes when, you know, we see the casualties and, and it's another day that the hostages are not released and we feel like, what are we accomplishing? We don't know. We don't know because, you know, every once in a while you read on your WhatsApp, you know, a, a crazy miracle story that, I mean, my husband was lucky to give out helmets to a group and two days later they called him up and they said we were in a tank we got hit like if we would have been wearing our old helmets we would have never survived like we don't hear all the miracles that are happening on a daily basis but they're happening and it's because of the chitas because chitas is protection so i just want you to re-inspire yourself if some days you feel like you can't do it if you feel like i know last week thursday was such a hard week for me and it was such a long comment <laughs> I was like a very busy Thursday. So I think at like 2, 3 a.m. I was finishing. But like, you know, sometimes when we feel like it's really, really the power and it is incredible and very potent. Okay, so my name is Gitti Rappaport and I did not grow up Chabad. I grew up from, but not Chabad. I grew up not very far from here. I grew up in a small little shtetl called Barra Park. I'm sure some of you may know it. I know a lot of people go shopping there <laughs> um, between 50, on 52nd Street between 17th and 18th Avenue. I grew up there. My family is Hasidish. Um, my father is uh, part of a group called uh, Stichin. You probably never heard of it. It's not like Babov and Pupa and Stalin. And it's a very, very small Hasidus. Um, but and I went to Beis Yaakov because there wasn't a Stachino school for girls. There was a little cheder for the boys, but there wasn't a school for girls. So my parents sent me to Beis Yaakov. And I am one of six. I'm smack in the middle. That's why I talk so much. <laughs> um, but I have a classic middle child syndrome. But I, um, and I really should not be here today. I should be in Bar Park um, trying to find my six kids matching outfits because that's very important in Bar Park. And I, but I'm here. So I'm going to talk a little bit about how I ended up here and what it is that drew me in. And the reason why I thought this would be a good topic for tonight was because um, one of the, like, I guess, seminal things that I learned um, that really, really changed the whole trajectory, trajectory of my life was learning the Tanya. And since we're going into the Alta Rebbe's birth, is it the birthday? I always forget my dates. You're tight. Okay. My dates are terrible. I know my, uh, some chassidus, but the dates I've never gotten. Um, so since it's the Alta Rebbe's tight, I think it's very apropos to talk about um, really how Tanya revolutionized my life. And I think there were some point times in my life where I really feel like the Tanya saved my life because I don't know where I would have ended up if I wouldn't have found Chassidus. Um, and I, I, I honestly believe that I am here today because of what the Alter Rebbe brought into the world. And so I feel very connected to it. So um, I was a Beshakov girl and I was very happy 
quote unquote, you know, I really shouldn't have been not happy. I came from a very nice, loving home, wonderful parents, wonderful siblings. I had a lot of friends. I was GO in eighth grade, which is like class president. And I was, you know, popular. And I, you know, I had everything I needed really. And, but I started questioning a lot of what I was learning in school. So for example, we learn, um, that when Hashem wanted to create the world, he looked at the Torah and the Torah was the blueprint to the world. He looked at the Torah and that's how he created the world based on the Torah. Okay, it's a very nice saying, but I'm thinking to myself, what's a blueprint? You know, when I was building my house, I sat, I called a builder and he said, okay, you need to call an architect and you need to tell the architect what you want and how you want. And we sat and we said, okay, we're going to put a bathroom here and we're going to put the laundry room here and we're going to put the playroom here, right? And we figure everything out. And then afterwards you go through the house and I remember <laughs> walking um, after living in the house for a couple of weeks, we noticed that the bathroom right off the kitchen would get very stuffy and smelly. It's didn't have a window. It was like, you know, one of those things that you stuck in. And I called my builder up and I said, I can't believe you didn't put a fan in my bathroom. Like, come on. And it's right off the kitchen. It's like the one all the guests use on Chavez. Like, and there's no window. Like, like how could you not? He's like, don't talk to me. Call your architect. I said, what do you mean? He says, I'll show you the plans. There was no vent work. There was no duct work. There was no electrical work for a fan. So I just go according to the thing. I may have stood there and said, hey, why isn't there a fan? But I'm following that. I'm following the plans. So whatever ends up in the building started out in the plans. You're not going to get a house with eight bathrooms if you had a plans with six bathrooms. It's not going to happen. It has to be in the plans. If it's not in the plans, it's not going to end up in the building. So if it's in the building, then it's in the plans. So I said, well, you want to, here, want to just move over so she right in here. So I remember thinking to myself, I was quite young. I was still in elementary school, the end of elementary school, probably seventh or eighth grade. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, I didn't know that much about the world or about science, but I was beginning to learn. We were learning science. I remember thinking to myself, you know, neuroscientists haven't even begun to understand how the brain works. And because they've been studying it for years, but there's still so many things that they don't know. And um, astrologers don't even know exactly, you know, what black holes are. And physicists are, are, are learning quantum physics, but there's still so many questions that they don't have. This world is such an incredible place. And there's so much brilliance to how this world is. You're telling me all of this is in the Torah? And I said, I looked at the Torah and this is what I saw. I saw two things. I saw a history book, right? It starts with the history of the world. Hashem created the world in seven days. And then there was, you know, the Gan Eden. And then there was Avram Avinu and he smashed the idols. And then he found, you know, went to Eretz Yisrael and he had Yitzhak and Yaakov and he ran away and then 12 Shvatim and they went to Mitzrayim and they came out and there was a little mountain that could and there was a talking donkey and the walls of Yerichel fell. Right, it's a whole history first of the world and then the, the history of the Jews. And then somewhere along the way, the Torah switches to a rule book rule book basically and if you learn all of it you're going to learn all the rules that you're supposed to live by right 613 it says that you're supposed to live by so it was a history book and it was a rule book i did not see any of the brilliance of the world in this Question. yes the, the rule part um there's a lot of things that i don't understand some things are like why does it seem like 
certain parts for sound like very harsh. They, it, it, you know, gives the words like, you know, punishment. Um, like, and right. Some disturbing things I've, I've read in the Torah. Right. That I don't understand. And it just doesn't make sense because Hashem is not like. It's so loving kindness. So. It is like that. So right. Why, and it's like there's certain things in the Torah that I've read, that I've read in the Torah that are very triggering. That, and. I've still never gotten an answer. Right. And it's something that we work on our whole lives. There's many examples. Right. So, and these were things that I was coming up against that I didn't understand. So we're going to, okay. So we're going to hopefully get to that. Right. But specifically, this was what I was beginning to, as I was learning more and more, I was really beginning to question these things. Now, I would love to say that the reason why I was having these questions was purely ideological. But really, um, if I was honest with myself, which I wasn't then, <laughs> but now in hindsight, I can say um, I was, there was definitely more of an emotional drive to, to, to question so that I would have a reason to leave. Because, and it's interesting because I, over the years, I've had an opportunity to meet a lot of people like myself who grew up in a from Hasidish home, from Williamsburg, from Curious Yale, from, um, you know, uh, Lakewood, from all different places, and specifically Hasidish, not even Lakewood so much, more Hasidish. And I noticed that we've started hosting a lot of what's called considered OTD. And I noticed that a lot of the people who ended up leaving there was something that was very traumatizing in their childhood life that really uh, pushed them to say, okay, this life wasn't for me. Either they came from a home that was broken or a home that there was abuse, even if it wasn't physical abuse, a lot of emotional abuse, and they were abused in school, they were bullied in school. I looked at my life and really... I had a very easy, good childhood. Like we really, I mean, my parents are the children of, of Holocaust survivors. So there's that generational trauma, but generally like it was a very warm, loving home. Like there was nothing that I really should have been rebelling against. And I wasn't bullied in school and I had a lot of friends. And like, and I remember thinking to myself, like, what was it that really made me feel like I want to leave? So a couple of things. First of all, I had older siblings, older sisters, um, smack in the middle, like I said, and they got married when I was very young and um, they settled down and they started families and that's what they were doing. Like they were, you know, raising their families and cooking and cleaning and buying the matching outfits and like that's what they were busy with. And I looked at them and I was like, I don't know if I want this. <laughs> I don't know if I want to make cocoa and change pampers. Like... I want to maybe do something else. And I knew that as a Jewish Hasidic girl, that's what would be expected of me. So that was one thing. So I, for many, many years, I thought that's what it was. But then I found out that there was even something that was a lot deeper. If you would have come to me and you would have said, Gitty, there's a girl halfway across the world that would like to be your pen pal. And so you're going to start sending messages to her. You're going to start writing letters to her. And the first letter that you're going to write to her, you're going to describe who you are. 
So you're going to make a list of 20 things. So she'll get a picture in her head of who she's talking to. And you're going to start with the things that are most fundamental to you. You're like, hi, my name is Gitty Wolf. I'm a girl. I am 13 years old. I'm a sister. I have four siblings. I'm a daughter, right? I have a mother. I'm an aunt. I had a few um, nieces and nephews. And then you will go into a little bit more about your personality. You know, I'm a very talkative person. I'm a very passionate person. Um, I like to think a lot. I'm like a thinker. I would... This is what got me into trouble in the first place because I started thinking about everything and questioning everything. Um, what are my likes and my dislikes? I love to dance. That was another thing. I really wanted to dance professionally and I knew I would never. My mother, I remember coming to my mother, I really want to take dance lessons and she signed me up for Israeli dance, you know, Israeli line dancing. I don't even know if they do it anymore, the Hora and Chai and whatever. And I like wanted ballet. I wanted to be in a bar with mirrors like I didn't want, but there was nothing for me to go to. Baruch Hashem, there is nowadays. My daughters are in a very good ballet school. Uh, dance school and they take ballet and contemporary but I couldn't and so there were a lot of things that I was bumping up that I wanted to do that I couldn't do but also there was I would I'm a dancer I'm a friend you know I'm I'm this type of friend I'm that you know I would go through the list of things that describe me maybe they even put physical characteristics I'm five four I have brown hair I have blue eyes all of these things and then like number 18, 19, maybe 20, I would have said, oh yeah, I'm a Jew because that was one of the definitions of who I am. I was born a Jew. But even though I was living a completely firm life, woke up every morning, said my daani, only ate kosher, only trust me most of the time, <laughs> um, went to a firm school, kept Chavez, like my whole entire life, even though it was such a huge part of my life, if I thought about it, I really didn't feel very connected to it. Being Jewish didn't feel like it was part of my identity. And I realized this because I remember questioning God and saying like, why did you create me Jewish? You know, like why, I, I remember struggling with keeping Torah and mitzvahs. And one of the reasons why I felt like I have to keep Torah and mitzvahs is because I have to Otherwise, I'm going to go to hell, right? I'm going to die. I'm going to come to, you know, and, and, just, and I remember thinking to myself, you know, there's a girl who's exactly my age, who's wearing jeans, who's going to the movies Friday night, and she's not going to go to hell. Why? Because it's not her. She's not responsible to go to hell. Like she just, she's not responsible to keep Shabbos. She's not responsible to wear a skirt. She's not, you know, she has to do seven little things. <laughs> she has to not pull a limb off a living animal and eat it. And she has to go to court if she wants to sue someone. And, you know, like you can't commit adult and that's it. And she's scot-free, you know, she's not, she's not riding in hell for eternity. So I really didn't feel connected to my Judaism in the sense that I wish that I wasn't responsible for this. And so I guess I was kind of looking for a way out. Now, at one point, even though I was still very, very young, I remember thinking to myself, well, maybe you don't need to stay. You know, maybe you give up your Olam Haba and you go, because I remember thinking to myself, I remember having this struggle within myself where, so I have so many questions. That means that I'm not 100% sure that this is true, right? Because there's so many things that I'm questioning, I'm learning and I'm not understanding and having questions like these, you know, very deep fundamental questions and I'm not getting answers. I also really didn't feel comfortable and safe asking these questions in my classroom. Okay, so we're gonna get through this and we're gonna try to, so I remember like 
you know, sometimes feeling prompted to like almost ask a question in class, but I thought that everyone would look at me and be like, what's wrong with this girl? Like who thinks like this? Because I didn't think that anybody else in, in my class, in my family thought like this. I was like, everyone was doing what they were supposed to be doing. And everybody was following the rules. And like, how could you, how could you say like, maybe you don't believe this? Like I was so embarrassed and almost ashamed that I felt this way. And I felt very uncomfortable with this. So I didn't feel that I can ask. So, you know, a lot of times teens will rebel or like outwardly nothing. You didn't see, I looked like the typical bar park girl with my long disc skirt and my three inch, the, the Stalin was like this huge bump. I don't know if any of you've seen your moms. <laughs> my kids saw my eighth grade graduation picture and they're like, oh my gosh. So, you know, like we, we, I, I looked like the typical girl and I was doing, if you think about it, in actuality, I was a good Jewish girl. You know, I was, I was keeping Shabbos. I was keeping kosher. I was doing everything that I was supposed to be doing, but I was completely disconnected from it. And to the point where when I was doing something Jewish, like going to shul or, you know, davening on Yom Kippur, or then I was like, okay, now I'm being Jewish. But when I'm in Kings Plaza shopping with my friends, there's no difference between me and any other girl that's there. Like the girl from public school who's trying on the same sweatshirt that I'm trying on in the old Navy, you know, uh, uh, um, dressing room, we could be, we could be you know, we could switch, like, you know, like, there's no difference. I didn't feel that Yiddishkeit was a fundamental um, part of my identity. I didn't relate to it. And it wasn't meaningful to me at all. And so, so I remember at one point thinking, so maybe you don't need to, maybe, you know, right now you have to do it because you're living in your parents' homes. So you have to do what you have to do. But maybe when you get older and you can support yourself and, Maybe you'll just move out of your parents' house, move to Manhattan. Maybe you're a good enough dancer that you'll get it to Juilliard, a full scholarship. I'm sure that's so easy. Or maybe you'll find a very rich boyfriend who's going to support you through that or whatever. Like, and I remember the first time that thought came into my head, it scared me because I honestly did not know anyone who wasn't from I really didn't like I knew some non-Jewish people. My cleaning lady wasn't Jewish and my pediatrician wasn't Jewish. But like I really didn't know anyone who was Jewish who was not living a completely from life. And I remember like that thought took time until it like settled within me. And it was like, you know, maybe I could do this. And I remember sitting one night looking out the window and thinking about thinking about the what my life might look like if I chose to leave. I knew that nothing was going to happen before I graduated. I figured I'm going to graduate at 18 and then I'm going to do what I want to do. And I remember thinking to myself and thinking like, maybe I'll, I'll get to, you know, follow my dance dreams and maybe I'll end up on stage and maybe I'll, you know, actually be performing in Manhattan in front of a stage. And I was like imagining and like fantasizing about this life that I might have. And I remember thinking to myself, this thought came into my head that really shocked me. And the thought was, okay, Gitty, so you made it. You know, you got into some dance school and you got into some production, you know, and, and you're on stage and you're dancing in this. And this is, this is the culmination of your dreams. This is what you want to do. This is what you love. And you're on stage and Mashiach comes. Do you know the song? No Jew will be left behind, right? Not true. 
Kitty Wolf dancing on, I don't know, 42nd Street in a non-sneastica outfit in front of men. Mashiach's not taking her anywhere. She's getting left behind. She's going to be killed by Gogo Mogo because she's, and I remember like, what, how could you do this? Like, what, you're going to be mortified. You're going to be, and I remember thinking to myself, you're ridiculous. You're ridiculous. Okay, you don't know if any of this is true. I was really grappling with Yiddishkeit. I was really grappling with, you know, if God exists and if he's a Jewish God, if there is a God, if he's a Jewish God and all of these things. But Mashiach was the furthest concept in my mind from what I connected to. And I want to just explain to you a little bit how I was, what I understood to be my purpose of the world, the purpose of the world and how Mashiach tied into this. The way I learned it, by growing up in outside of Chabad and without Chabad Chassidus, just so you could understand a little bit the ideology. So we were given a mushal and the mushal that we were given, you know, once we started getting a little older and we started learning a little bit more ideology, our teachers would get up and say, so why are you here, Gatine? What's your purpose here? And they said, you know, I'm gonna give you a mushal. You're walking down the street and you're passing by Feldman's Jewelry Shop on 16th Avenue, you see a beautiful ring in the window, and you come home and you tell your mother, you know, mom, my birthday's coming up, please, I would love that ring for my birthday. And your mother says, great, I was debating what I should get you for your birthday. And you go to the store and you buy the ring and you slip it on your finger and you love it. It's exactly what you want. And it's a gift from your mother. So it has sentimental value. And every single day that you wear it, it just brings you joy. And you go to camp that summer and you slip the ring off your finger to wash Almatilashidayim and it slips down the drain and it's lost forever. And you're devastated. Right. <laughs> but you forget, you didn't realize. And you're devastated. Now they said, let's take the same scenario. We're just going to switch one minute detail. You see the ring walking down the street. You come home, you tell your mother, Ma, I really want the ring for my birthday. And your mother says, I'm sorry, Shefala. We weren't going to spend that much money on your birthday. So we're going to take you out to eat for your birthday. We're not buying you a ring. And every day you pass the jewelry store, it, you're like, oh, I love that ring. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to buy myself the ring. You walk into the store and it's $275. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to find 20 Okay, fine. The three days later, someone on your block calls you and really her kids are very, very cranky, but she wants you to come babysit. And you're like, you usually would find an excuse not to go babysit, but you'll make $25 if you go. So you're like, okay, I'll go. I'll deal with the cranky bratty kids. Okay, you get $25 and you put it in. That summer, some of your friends are going to a traveling camp and you're like, no, 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 no. I'm going to work in a camp and I'm going to be a waitress. I can get tips. And you come home with another $100. Yeah. And then you're, you, you're, you're, you have another babysitting job or whatever it is. And finally, finally, you have $275 saved up literally your blood, sweat, and tears into this $275. And you walk into the jewelry store and the ring is still there. It hasn't been sold. And you're like, oh, it's for sure. Thank you, Hashem. And you count out every last dollar and you buy the ring and you put it on your finger. And every single day that you wear it, you love it. You work so hard for this and you get to see all your hard work on your ring every single day. And you go to camp that summer and you take it off. And someone knocks it off that ledge of the thing and you lose it forever. And we were asked, so in which scenario is it more devastating to lose the ring? The one that you earned. Like you, <laughs> this was your summer, your nights, everything was in this ring and you lost it. 
And they said, and this is what Hashem wants for us. Hashem could have just created us and put us in Gan Eden like he did with Adam Ahava, but Hashem said, no, I want you to earn this. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to take your neshama and I'm going to put it in this world. And I am going to give you a rule book and I am going to tell you that this is how you're going to earn your Gan Eden. Every time you do something that you're supposed to do, you're going to get a check on the chart. And every time you do something that you're not supposed to do, you're going to get a minus. And you're going to come up to Shamayim after 60, 70, 80, 120 years. And I'm going to look at your chart and I'm going to weigh like, like Rosh Hashanah, right? I'm going to weigh all your mitzvahs on this side. I'm going to weigh all your right. And I'm going to say, oh, Yitty Wolf, you were good. Okay, you're going to go to Gan Eden, right? Because, and this is what Hashem wants for us. This is, He wants us to really, really enjoy our Gan Eden. Because if He would have given it to us, it wouldn't mean as much but we have to work for it. But not only that, not only do you have to do the right thing, I'm putting you in a world where it's very hard to do the right thing. And I'm hidden in this world and you can't see me. And there's going to be a lot of things that are going to try to pull you away from me. There's going to be, this was before the internet, guys, so I can't use that in example. But there's going to be Manhattan and there's going to be Hollywood and there's going to be movies and there's going to be all these things. And you have to come into this world and you have to put on blinders and you have to say, Hashem, 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 I'm just doing what's right. I'm just doing what's right. I'm not going to go. And I'm going to live in Bar Park and then I'm going to live in Lakewood and I'm going to, and I'm not going to go into Manhattan and I'm going to, because I don't want to get distracted because I have to earn my Gan Eden. That's why I'm here for, right? And not only am I going to make it hard because this world I'm hidden in, I'm also going to put things within you. I'm going to give you a Yetzirah that's going to make you jealous and going to make you angry and going to give you desires. So you're fighting for all of this. And if you're able to 70, 80, 90 years, come up to Shamayim and still have that reward, think of how sweet it's going to be. That's your purpose in the world. So how does Mashiach play in all this? Where, where does Mashiach come into all this? Ah, okay. So instead of us all dying and going to Gan Eden, if collectively, as a whole, the Jewish nation are all more good than bad. We have all more mitzvahs than Averis, then instead of us dying and going to Gan Eden, Gan Eden is going to come down into this world. And that's Mashiach, right? Mashiach is Gan Eden. We're not going to have wars. We're not going to have sickness. We're going to have lollies on the trees and money on the tree, right? It's all going to be butterflies and, and rainbows because Gan Eden is coming here. Now, I said to myself, Gitti, you do not need to worry about Mashiach coming because you sit in Musra class once a week and you hear Doris Hochus and Miss Matos. Look at you girls. Do you know your grandmothers and your great-grandmothers in Poland in 1745. Do you know what your great-grandmother's life at 14-year-old looked like? She woke up at the crack of dawn and she went to scrub her father's talus cotton in the river and then she came home and she plucked the chickens and then she put up the soup and then at three o'clock when she finally could sit down for two minutes, you think she sat down with the babysitter's club? No, she took out her tear-stained tenor arena and she cried her eyes out, even though she could barely read because she didn't even have an opportunity to go to school like you girls. And look at you, you finished school. You're going to chesed? No, you're going to shop at the mall. You're going to go read a book. You're going to go, right? And look at you guys. And your second button is open and your skirt's too short and you're saying Lush and Hara. And I knew they were right because I knew that when we walked out, we opened the second button and we rolled up our skirt and we said Lush and Hara and we went to the mall and we once in a while snuck in a movie that we weren't supposed to watch. Like, I knew it. So I said, I don't have to worry about Mishiach coming. Because Mashiach didn't come with my great-grandmother, who was such a tzadikist. How is Mashiach coming now? Right? I'm dancing on 42nd Street. Mashiach is not coming. Right? Like, I don't need to worry about this. I remember thinking to myself, why are you, like, why is this bothering you? Mashiach is not coming. You don't have to worry about it. Okay. So you have to worry about your, your if you're going to ride in hell for the rest of eternity. Okay. Maybe that's one thing. But, like, Mashiach, don't worry about Mashiach. 
So I, but for some reason, this thought was bothering me that night and I couldn't get it out of my head. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, if you're going to give this up, then you really, you really need to know that this is the right choice for you. You real and maybe you should try to investigate this a little bit. Maybe maybe try to see if there's something here for you. But I didn't know who to turn to. I didn't know who to ask. I remember even like almost like that night, kind of making a deal with Hashem and being like, like, if you want me to do this, like I'll do it. But I, I need something. I remember asking for answers. But really, if I think about it now, I was asking for connection. I was asking for meaning and relevancy. Like I, in, in Yiddish, it needed to mean something to me. I couldn't just do it because my mother did it. And my mother's mother did it. And my mother's mother's mother did it. Like it had to, I had to feel connected to it. And so in my own little way, I tried to like get some answers. And I remember talking to one of my teachers after class. She wasn't even a Hebrew studies teacher. She was a my biology teacher. And I remember her telling me, she said, oh, we got into a whole discussion about all the different religions. And even though I didn't come out and ask for my questions point blank, because I was still very embarrassed and very ashamed that I had all these questions, I, she realized, I guess, from our discussion, what was going on. And she said, oh, Kitty, I have a fabulous book for you to read. She comes to school the next day and she gives me a book. It's not very big. It's a small book. And it's called Through the Eye of a Needle. And it's put out by Aisha Torah, which is a curve organization in, in Eretz Yisrael. They had a program called Partners in Torah. Partners in Torah was a chavrusa system that they hooked up from people with not from people. This was before Zoom and internet. It was just regular old phone call. We'd pick up a rotary phone and we'd call each other. And we set up a time at eight o'clock or whoever, you know, whichever chavrusa was setting up. And you could learn if somebody wanted to learn Hilchah Shabbos, if somebody was usually between a from person and not from person, right? So somebody said, oh, I want to learn about Shabbos. I want to learn about Kashrus. I want to. Now, what was happening was that a lot of the time, the from people knew exactly how to keep kosher and they knew exactly how to keep Shabbos. But when they were, what would happen is they would, people would start asking them ideological questions. Like, what is the meaning behind Shabbos and why is it so important? And what is it? And now, if you grow up from you, a lot of these things you just take for granted. You do because that's how you raise. So I don't know why I'm washing my hands a certain way. Or I'm just doing it because that's what I'm doing. And, and all of a sudden, they were getting these questions, and they didn't have answers, and basic fundamental questions in, in Jewish ideology, and they didn't have answers. So they were calling back partners in Torah and saying, listen, I can teach you one Hilcha Shabbos, but we're getting into ideological discussions, and I don't have answers. So partners in Torah took the Sefer, through the, uh, took the Sefer Kuzari, which was one of the first um, uh, philosophical works that came out when there were all these new ideologies coming out and philosophies coming out into the world. And it was, it was written uh, by Rabbi Yehuda Halevi, who, who wrote it in a very interesting form. He wrote it in question and answer form. Um, there was this king who was looking into all the different religions. He wanted to convert and, and, and convert his whole nation. Some people say it's a true story. Some people say it's a parable. But it's, it's a very interesting safer. And he talks to all different, um, uh, you know, priests and rabbis and imams and, you know, of all different religions to get their ideas. And, and he ends up having this discussion with this rabbi. And he brings about all the basic proofs about Yiddishkeit. He talks about Torah's Moshimi Sinai and why we believe in, in, in the oral tradition and not just the rich tradition and one of the things that Asha Torah also talks about they use a lot is that the first and this is from Rabbi Huda Halevi was that this is the only religion that has mass revelation so we are the only religion that can say that six 
600,000 people plus actually saw God because, you know, the Christians will say that Yashka saw God and the Muslims will say that Muhammad saw God and the Buddhists will say, you know, everybody, but nobody says that 600,000 people actually saw God and transmitted that to their children. So you can't have 600,000 people giving the same, you know, account of a first person account and it all adding up, you know, someone's going to slip up if it's not true. Like either they all saw the thing, if it was, if it didn't really happen, that there's no way that the transmission would go along as, as something that was true and that everybody saw the same thing. So it's a very interesting safer. And she gave it to me and I was almost like, oh, wow, Hashem answered my prayers. And I got this book and I sat down and I read the book in one sitting, took me a couple hours and I closed the book and I was like, Okay, so like it seems like Yiddishkeit is pretty valid. Why are we such a minority? And not, like if if we're like the, um, you know, like if this is the truth, old, right? Why is there a majority? Like if the majority of the world is not is not right because they were not created Jewish. Right, but they were not created Jewish, so they don't need to live a Jewish life. No, but sure. but it's not that the truth is in the numbers. The truth in this is in what is the truth? What's the reality? It's not because, oh, there's more Muslims. That means that that's the truth. No, that's the sure. reality. No, right. Like, this is the way Hashem created it. Why would he create such a minority? I think it's specifically, it's specifically in order for you to be chosen, there has to be chosen from many. We are the chosen people. Um, so, so I remember reading this book and almost like, okay, so you know what? This is it. If this is the right way, and this is what Hashem, I know we started late, so I'm wondering when we could go to, okay, I'm going to try to condense it. I remember thinking to myself, okay, so you know what? This is it. This is the right thing. But Gitty, if you're going to give up your dreams of becoming a dancer or going to college, whatever it is, you know, to live that, you know, the Jewish lifestyle, the from lifestyle that your parents want you to live, you better do this right. Like you cannot come up there and Hashem's going to say, hmm, okay, so you did 70,485 mitzvahs, but unfortunately you did 81,755 averas. So even though you tried very, very hard, you're still not getting your Ganeidin. I remember thinking to myself, like, I better do this right. You know what? I'm giving up 60, 70, 80 years doing what Hashem wants me to do. I'm going to do it, but I'm going to, I better get this because if not, then I might as well, I might as well not. You know, I might as well then just live my life the way I want to live and end up wherever, you know, in hell, burn in hell. But if if I'm going to give this up, this life up, then I better get my Ghanaian. And so I told myself, I'm gonna become a Tzadikas. I'm gonna do like it's so easy, right? So I got up in the morning, made sure to wash Nicholas, make sure to say my brachas, make sure to wear my longer skirt, make sure to button my top button, make sure to walk to school with the, the friend who maybe I wasn't interested in talking to that much, make sure to daven bikabana, make sure not to say lashon hara, make sure. By the time I came home from school, I was such a bundle of nerves because I was trying so hard to be so perfect. And I just wanted to go to my room, slam my door, everyone leave me alone. Let me decompress. Oh, take a deep breath. <laughs> and then my little brother came knocking on the door. Gitti, can I borrow your Walkman? Do you even know what a Walkman is? Yes. Pre-iPod. And I'm like, leave me alone, go away. Can I, no, go away, leave me alone. Guy said, goodbye, leave me alone. I'm not giving you, and he, you know, was jiggling the doorknob and I opened the door and I threw out the Walkman and it cracked. 
And he started crying and I started crying and my mother came upstairs and I'm yelling at him, look what happened, you broke my wolf. I broke the wolf, I was throwing it out there, but it was his fault because he was nudging me. And my mother like walks up says, why can't you guys get along for five minutes while I'm trying to make supper? And she looks at him and she looks at me and him and I'm like, well, he broke my thing. And he looks at my mother and he's like, well, she broke my heart. <laughs> and I remember, now you're all going, oh, he was very annoying, I will say this. He was adorable, but he was very annoying. Um, but I felt, I felt like, like, and I remember thinking to myself, this is not, this is not what God wants. This is not like, Hashem doesn't want me to be like this the whole day, right? 80 years, I can't live like this for 80 years. It's not gonna happen. And I remember thinking to myself also, Okay, Gitti, so you wore the Tamiya's outfit and you said the brachas and you daven bekavana and you daven mincha and you didn't say Lashon Har and you, let's say you got, I don't know, you know, 170, you know, points. I was still thinking in terms of that structure. Do you know what it says for someone who loses in Perkei to someone who loses their temper? I lost my temper at my brother. I, I gave it to him. I broke his heart, right? I lost my temper with him. What does it say in Perkei to someone who loses their temper? What is it as if we do? I'm thinking... <laughs> So you have in today, very cute. You just were idol worshiping. Do you think, do you know how many minus 775 points you got right now? I remember thinking to myself, like, you're never going to get there. You're never going to be that good Jewish Edelmadel. Like, no matter how hard you try, like, so maybe just give up because you're just not going to, you're not going to get your Olam Haba. Like, it's impossible. I was babysitting by my sister. And, and so I was really struggling with it. I was trying to do it and I was trying to do the right thing, but I was really struggling. It was perm night and my sister asked me to babysit her kids. And, and, and I remember specifically that night was when I really like had this like taina to God, this conversation with God and being like, okay, fine. So Judaism is right. And it's true. Like I read this book and it seemed so real to me and so true to me, but like, why me? Like, why did I have to be Jewish? Like that was when that thought came into my head. And I was sitting in my sister's house, babysitting her kids and um, the kids were sleeping. I was looking out the window. It was perp night. So I, I think I was about 13 years old then. This was all 12 and 13 that I was really struggling with this. And 13 years old, I'm sitting in my sister's house, babysitting her kids, looking out the window. In Bar Park, there's a very um, cute minhag that they have. The boys, the teenage boys get together. They rent costumes. They rent like these hummers and stretch limos and whatever. And they, 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 get, they all get together. They put together like a cute little poem or a little dance. And they take an organization or a yeshiva or something to collect money for. And they go around from house to house and they make freilach and lebedik and they sing their little song and they do their little dance and they raise money for these organizations. That's how they do it. And they have a ball. I mean, they prepare for this for months and they get their costumes and, I, and I'm sitting and I'm looking out the window and I'm watching all these groups of boys. My sister lives like on, she used to, now she moved, but she lived like in the middle of Bar Park, 52nd between 15th and 16th Avenue, smack in middle of Bar Park. So there's literally, I'm watching hundreds of these groups coming in and out of houses. And I'm thinking to myself, this is the rest of my life. And I'm thinking to myself, this is the rest of my life. My husband gets to dance on some Torah. My husband gets to dance on Purim. My husband gets to go out and learn. And I'm home with the kids. 
Like, and I remember thinking to myself, Hashem, fine. If you had to create me Jewish, you couldn't create me a boy. <laughs> like, I felt like Jewish boys have it so much better than Jewish girls. Like, you know, like at least they get to learn and they get to go out and work. Like in my, in my family, like the women stay home and do the cooking and the cleaning and the child rearing. And, and I just, I was like, at least if I was Jewish, at least I should be able to go dance and I should be able to be part of the community and get to be, you know, like, and here I'm like sidelined, you know? And it was really bothering me. And I came home that night and my parents were sleeping already. And I was sitting in the kitchen, all depressed and all, I'm obviously very passionate and overdramatic. So like the world was ending and my brother walked in and he saw me sitting there. Now I'm going to just pivot for a second and tell you that. So I have two older sisters and then I have an older brother. He's about five years older than me. He, um, when he was about 17 years old, um, he finished like Masifta and he had to go like continue learning. It's not called Zaldir. I don't know what it's called, but he had to. And so, right. Base measures. Excellent. Thank you. So he asked his pa my parents if he could go to Eretz Yisrael. Now, my parents did not let my sisters go to seminary. They were like, you graduated 18. We're starting to look for a shidduch. Both my sisters got engaged fairly quickly out of high school. Um, but my brother was 17 when he finished Masifta. Um, so he said, you know, I'm not getting married now. So can I go to Eretz Yisrael? My parents were a little nervous about it, but they said, you know what? His Rosh Yeshiva also told them, you know, your son is a very good learner. And the yeshivas here, the Hasidic yeshivas here are not so much into learning, but the real good um, Litvish yeshivas in Bnei Barak, they have like a very high level of learning. And at least a year or two before he gets married, even though he's not going to sit and learn and cuddle up for the rest of his life, let him have two good solid years of learning. I think you should send him to Israel. So, yes, stitch in. So they said, even though the Hasidish, they sent him to this very Litvish yeshiva called Slobotka in Bnei Barak. And he was there and he was learning. He was doing very well. And somehow someone told him about a little gathering, a little um, learning group. And he ended up by, without knowing where he was going to end up, by a Fabringen, by a man named Remendel Wechter. Remendel Wechter was originally from Satmar. And he started learning Hasidus and he started teaching Hasidus in Satmar and they actually kicked him out. Um, they almost killed him. <laughs> and somehow, I don't know how he ended up in Bnei Barak. I don't know if he was living there or he was just giving classes there. And my brother went to one of his classes and he really enjoyed, he, he was hearing things and learning things they'd never heard before. And so he decided to go back and he kept on going back. And a couple of other boys heard that he was going and they told his magachir, you know, um, he's going to this shear and, um, they didn't, they didn't know it was for bringing, he didn't know what it was called, but they said they're going, so he gets called into the principal's office and they tell him, listen, you're a Hasidish Bachar, you're in a Litvish yeshiva in, 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 sorry, in Bnei Barak, and there's no place for you to be going to Remendel Wechter. He's Chabad. We don't align ourselves with this. If you want to stay in our yeshiva, you cannot go to that shear. And so he didn't want to get kicked And she was like, okay, 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 I'm going to stop. So he stopped. But really, he was very drawn to it. And he was very interested in it. And then someone told him, you know, they're having a big event. Maybe it was your discus. I don't even remember what it was. And so he's like, you know what, I'll go. Nobody will know. And so he snuck out and he went. And then he started, I think he went for a Shabbos to Karachabad. And slowly more and more. And the yeshiva said they had enough. And they called up my parents and they said, we're sorry. We're sending your son home. And my parents are like, what? They were, they sent a perfectly good, you know, Hasidish Bachar to Bnei Barak. And what did he do? Well, we told him that he's not allowed to go to the Shiurim. He's learning Chabad Hasidus. 
uh, that's not what he's supposed to be doing. We told him to stop. He didn't listen. So my parents panicked and they wanted to bring him home, but he convinced them. He let them stay, convinced them that he could switch to another yeshiva. He switched to a much bigger yeshiva, Mir, Yerushalayim, which is in Yerushalayim. It's a massive yeshiva. They have no idea what anyone's doing there. Half the time he's in Krakavada. At the ripe old age of 18, my mother said, we better bring him home and get him married off before anyone finds out he's Chabad. Because if they find out he's Chabad, he's never gonna, we're never going to find the shiva for him. So at 18 years old, they brought him home and he met a girl, a very sweet girl from Muncie. And they had a few at 18. Uh, they had a few bashows, and which is a sit-in, a few. And the last bashow, he said, by the way, sometimes I learn Chabad Chassidus. I learned some Chassidus. And she was like, had no idea what he was talking about. Great. Bigger Talmud Chacham learns extra. Okay. And a couple of weeks later, they're engaged. And this was my brother. He was currently engaged. He was living back at home. But he was going to Fabrengans in Borough Park. Secret Fabrengans. And this was Purim night. He went to Fabringen and he came home. And he comes home and he sees his little 13-year-old sister sitting at the table, all depressed on Purim night, like the world is ending. And so he walks in and he looks at me and he says, Gitty, come on. One day a year, you have a mitzvah to be happy, right? That's what you have to do on Purim is be happy. It's like the easiest mitzvah, right? One day a year, you have a mitzvah to be happy. You can't do that for God. Like you have to sit here all depressed. Like now you're being depressed on Purim night. Now, I want to tell you that all those questions and all those things that I had had in my head and everything that I was struggling with, I never told anyone about this. Never told anyone because I was so ashamed that I felt this way. I felt that how could, you know, a good from girl. I don't know. I honestly don't know. I like, you know, you're busy with other things. It was geo and dance and school and this and that and studies and tests. I didn't tell anyone. But for some reason that night when he asked me that question, it was like the straw that broke the camel's back. And I looked at him and I said, really? Really? God took my neshama and said, here, Gitti, I'm putting you in this world, 80, 90, 120 years. Have a good time. Do whatever you want. Do me a favor. Yudalit Adar, be happy for me. I said, are you kidding me? You think that's all God wants of me? I wake up in the morning, I have to put on my shoes a certain way, I have to wash my hands a certain way, I'm only allowed to wear skirts, I have to make sure my top button is closed, I have to make sure that I'm only eating kosher food, I have to make sure that I say brachas before I eat, I have to make sure that I'm not saying lashon hara, I have to make sure that I'm tapping. I said before 9.17 a.m. in the morning, I did 75 things for God already. My whole life is controlled by God. If God just asked me to be happy on Yudalat Adar, believe me, I would be happy in Yudalat. I said, but that's not what God wants. God wants a million and one things for me. And I'm trying so hard and I, everything came out and I read this book and I was trying so hard, but then I lost my temper and, and I see that I'm not going to get anywhere and I'm anyways not going to have my Olam Hava, so maybe I should just give it up. And everything came out. And as the words are coming out of my mouth, I'm, I'm, I'm like hearing it for the first time because they had never been out of my head, you know? And I'm like, oh my God, like the walls of the house are going to crumble because I'm saying such blasphemous things or he's going to freak out and go home and wake up my parents. Do you know what Kitty's saying downstairs? Like, I thought like the world was going to end. Like for me in my little world, this was just awful, awful, awful things I was saying. And to his credit, he just took it in. I think he was a little tipsy. It was perm. <laughs> so I, think, I think like it was just a little slow on the uptake. Maybe if it wasn't perm, he would have responded a little differently. But he sat down and we started talking and we ended up talking literally straight through the night. I remember the sun coming up. My parents' house is higher than all the other houses on the block. And I remember the sun coming up. I was looking out at the sun coming up over the other houses. And at one point, you know, towards the end of the night, I said, you know what? 
now I get it. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, the past, you know, year or two, I was like very self-absorbed in my own issues and whatever. And I was, you know, he's older, he's five years older than me. And I, I, I've been so absorbed in all of this that I didn't, I, I didn't understand what was going on with you. I wasn't really paying attention to what was going on with you, but I did hear on the sidelines, like what was going on. And I remember you got kicked out of yeshiva and mommy and Tati were freaking out about it. And I remember thinking to myself, oh my gosh, what did he do that he got kicked out? But did he get a girlfriend? Like, is he on drugs? <laughs> like, he's learning kicked him out. Like, what? Okay, so I will tell you, I was always, but even though like it was a shtetl, I was always very, how did I know, let's say about Juilliard, right? I was always very, I used to read newspapers a lot. I used to read, I, um, my parents were actually in the fashion industry. My father used to design handbags. So we had a lot of fashion magazines. Uh, my mother's a very fashionable lady until today. She really dresses amazing. <laughs> anyway, uh, my parents had a showroom on Fifth Avenue, actually. And we used to go all the time to Fifth Avenue. So I definitely knew um about you know you know about the world and unfortunately yeah there was also drugs and like very mildly on unfortunately now it's it's grown but yeah like I did know and I remember thinking to myself like this is why he got daddy kicked out of yeshiva like was he learning because I, I, I had no idea what Chabad was I know and I said but now that I hear you talking because we were talking we got into all these philosophical discussions now that I hear you talking I'm like now I know why they were worried. And he said, what do you mean? I'm like, I don't know if this is Judaism. <laughs> I'm like, everything that you're telling me here sounds so mystical and sounds so deep. Like Yiddishkeit is just stories and rules. Like it's not ideology. It's not philosophy. It's not explaining how I operate, how God operates. I said, I said, you know, I'm sitting in school for eight years or whatever, including preschool, 11 years. Like, and, and I'm learning formation. I'm learning Navi and I'm learning Perkevis and I'm learning Helchus Halacha and I'm learning, you know, Kitzer and I'm learning Ramban and Rambam and, and Bartonurus. And I said, I never heard the word Nefesh Alukas and Nefesh Alahamas. I never heard the word Atsilas. I never heard the word Simsom. I never, all of these concepts that he started talking to me about that I, I never heard them before. Show me, open, open the Rashi and show me Nefesh Alahamas and the Rashi. Where do you see that? Where is this? What, what are you talking about? Where is this in Yiddishkeit? This is interesting. This is deep. This sounds mystical. This is something that I think could really talk to me as a person, not just tell me what to do, but talk to me as a gitty, a teenage girl living in Borough Park in 1994. Like this is, this is could talk to me, but this is not Yiddishkeit. Yiddishkeit is how long your skirt has to be and why you're not allowed to eat meat, meat and milk. Like, you know, and, and so he started telling me, he said, you know, Gitty, the same way that you have a body and a soul, when you say Gitti, what do you mean? Do you mean your hands? Do you mean your feet? Do you mean your hair? No, you mean your personality, who you are, your essence. The same way that you have a body and a soul, the Torah has a body and a soul. There's the guf of the Torah, which is the chitzonius of the Torah. And when you're learning that as history, you're learning that there were three fathers and four mothers and 12 shvatim and when they went down and how they came up and the burning bush and the everything that I said before. And when you're learning the halachas, you're learning how to keep kosher and you're learning when to light the menorah and you're learning when to, to, to eat the matzah and you're learning how to clean your house for Pesach and you're learning, right? But you're not learning why. You're not learning why did they have to go down to Mitzrayim. You're not learning what was the significance of why did Hashem bring the marble? Why didn't he bring something else? Why didn't he bring a big fire? What is the significance of the marble? Why did there have to be water? Why did the whole world have to be drowned? Why specifically do we not allow to have hummets at 
all in the house. What does chametz signify today? Is it just because they didn't have time to rise their bread, for their bread to rise? But is it because there's something very significant that to today we have to scrub our houses and drive ourselves crazy to make sure there's not a crumb of chametz? Why is chametz okay every single day of the year and on Pesach? It's terrible. It's kares. What is it? What is all of that? And he said, that is the Pneumius. That's the Mishama of the Torah. And that's Chassidus. That was when he was eating in Jewish time? Yes. He had what started he learning Chassidus. The Chassidus. The Chassidus. Yeah. I'm sorry? Yeah. What does that have to do with So we are learning the reasons behind what you're doing, not just how to do it. And yes, 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 yes. So that's what we're going to learn as you learn Chassidus. So so from that moment on, it wasn't like, oh my gosh, this is it. You know, I had to slowly start learning it. I remember learning for the first time, the five levels of the soul. I remember learning that every single Jewish person has a chelek elokai mamish because I was always taught that I was, Hashem created me, but tell elokim, right? Hashem created man. That's what we, I was always taught in, 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 in the image of God, but tell elokim. You learn Chassidus in the first parak of Tanya. The Rebbe says that the altar, maybe even in the introduction, the altar Rebbe says, Chelech that at your core, at your essence, you are a Yechida. And what does that mean? That your essence is a spark of godliness. And Yechida means that it is infinite. It is Infinity cannot be divided. Infinity cannot be changed. Infinity cannot be tarnished. Infinity cannot be dirtied. Your Yechida is perfect and pure no matter what you're doing, no matter where you're at. Your Yechida is that spark of godliness. And that is that thing, he told me, that is that thing that was talking to you that night when you're like, why are you worried about Mashiach? Why was this thought bothering me? Why was I so bothered that I couldn't just leave? What was holding me back? Because at that point, my Yechida flared up. And that is perfection. It, can, it doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter if you lost your temper at your brother. It doesn't matter if you, that Yechida is perfection and it is godliness. And the more you connect to it, the more you'll connect to yourself because that's your true you. When you can reveal that godliness within you, when you can push aside your desires and push aside, well, what, what now I know, I didn't know about the Nefesh of Bahamas then, but what I know now is the Nefesh of Bahamas and, and look at that Yechida and say, oh, that's Gitti. That's the real her. That's, that's when I say Gitti, that's what I'm talking about. That's my core. That's my essence. I remember doing a mitzvah, learning about how, why we do mitzvahs, how it's not just to get our brownie points, that there's something called Lassus Lidir Bethrachanim, that when Hashem created the world, not only is there a spark of godliness within me, but there's godly energy in everything in this world. And me being that spark of godliness within a human body, I'm the only one that can come down into this world, take a physical object and reveal the godliness in it. I can make a bracha on this cup right now and it can quench my thirst and I can continue talking chassidus to you and reveal godliness in this world. And when I do that, I am connecting to the divine. I am connecting to the infinite and that can never be changed. So yes, I could turn around to you when we're walking out of here and say the worst piece of Lashon Hara. And yes, 
that's going to affect my relationship with God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to repair that. But nothing is going to take away from that bracha. That godliness that I revealed is eternal. It's eternal. It doesn't change. It cannot be reversed. It cannot be like, oh, before I had 45 mitzvahs and now I'm I minus 30. So now I'm only at 15 or minus 10. No, the godliness that I revealed is infinite and it's cosmic. I'm creating cosmic change in this world. That's why Mashiach could come, even though I'm doing an Avera right now. <laughs> because at that point, we have all shifted the world to bring the godliness into the world if we can see that. And I remember learning that and thinking to myself, that makes sense. That, that I could connect to. I remember when I realized that means that when I'm writing that list, when I'm saying I'm a girl, I'm an aunt, I'm a sister, I'm a thinker, I'm a dancer, before any of that, the first definition of who I am is Jew. Before I'm a girl, before I'm a mother, before I'm a wife, before I'm a dancer, before I'm a thinker, before I'm passionate, before I'm whatever personality trait, whatever I align myself with, the first thing that I am is a Jew. And the more I connect to that, the more me I'll feel. And I remember once we started learning this, thinking to myself, so when I read that book, it was almost like, oh, now I have to stay. And then when I started learning Hasidus, I was like, oh my gosh, like this, it's not like, oh, now I have to stay. Like, I want to learn more. Like, when are we going to learn again? When are we going to, it, it's just, I'm doing the same mitzvahs. I'm doing the same kashras. I'm doing the same Pesach. I'm doing the same Shabbos. I'm doing, but it, it's a totally different picture. Because now I understand the meaning behind it. Now I understand why I need it. And it's not just for my, you know, benefit that I should get Olam Haba, but because I'm actually changing the world. And I'm actually living my truest self when I'm living authentically Jewish. So, yes, that is why. We can definitely open up to questions. That's just like a smidge of it. But we are at 925. So, yes. I know the rest. No, not at all. <laughs> what happened with your brother? Well, the well, we <laughs> My brother, I hope, by the way, I, I, I realized that we went through a lot of the story and I didn't go through the philosophy enough. I hope I gave you enough of the Nachaba philosophy that you see, knowing your what you know about Hasidus, why it's so transformative. Um, I remember learning Tanya for the first time and it blew my mind away. And I was like, how does the Alta Rebbe like know me so well? Like talking to me as a person, like, you know, um, okay. It was, it was, it was a process. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to answer your question and I'm going to answer my, your, your brother question. So, and then we'll try to get to your question also. So, so, um, uh, I, I started learning and with, your brother or with my brother, I just started learning whenever he was around, we would start learning. Uh, I mean, I would just tell him, like, if he would be sitting and learning something, I would say, oh, can you teach me this? And my parents didn't realize, like, okay, she's learning to read it. Like, they didn't, they didn't think that it was going to make a difference to me. Um, but then I'm very vocal and I'm very outgoing and I'm very, so I would start saying things in class. And my teachers are like, what's she saying? What's she saying? I remember I wrote a report and I based it a lot on, and my teacher was like, she gave me a really bad mark. She was a very good report. She gave, a good she gave me a bad mark. 
Um, I mean, she, it wasn't a terrible mark, but she minus points because she said it was too esoteric and it was too mystical. And I was like, you're kidding. Um, and my, my principal actually called me into his office and he asked me um, why, why I was doing this. Why? Oh, a lot of my friends, because I started becoming more vocal about it and then they started saying things like they either stopped being friends with me or they were our parents told them not to be friends with me because word was getting on on the street that I was learning how to say this so um I he my principal called me and he said you know you came into high school my sister had been in the high school before me and she was graduated at top of the class and she was head of dance and geo and like you know one of the real popular it girls and he came he calls me and he's like you know you you came into our school like all um like primed to like taking your sister's footsteps you know every girl wants to hear that right um like it was it was ready for your taking and 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 look at you like why are you like screwing it up like this like why are you like your friends are leaving you and you're like like just put, like these class like what what are you doing like where what? he was trying to understand to his credit, actually, the fact that he asked me, you know, like, why are you doing this? My parents never asked me why, because, um, you know, they, they're post-Holocaust generation, and you didn't really talk about your feelings. You just survived. Um, but the, he, so I told him, I said, and he said, you know, why are you, like, moving away from the way that your parents raised you? So I said, listen, I can't believe I thought to say this at that age. I don't even know, like, how I had this in my head. So here I was about 14, 15. And I remember telling him, I said, listen, I said, until I said, you think that this is taking me away from the way my parents want me to live. I said, I just want you to, to know that until I started learning Hasidus, I was here and Yiddishkeit was here. It was like two separate islands. I said, and I was not connected. I said, I was doing everything right. I walked in, you accepted me as a good Bishak of girl doing the right things because I was just doing it because I was told to do it and I was just doing it by rote, but I was not connected to any of it. I was not inspired by it. It wasn't meaningful to me. I was not connected. I said, and now Hasidus is the bridge that's connecting me to Yiddishkeit. So I said, I'm actually becoming a lot closer to what my parents want um, and want me to live by through this. It's not taking me away. I said, it's different than the way my parents are experiencing their Yiddishkeit, but I was con wasn't connected to Yiddishkeit the cloud without it. And because of this Hasidus, I have that bridge. And that's how I understood it at that point. And to his credit, he accepted it. He actually uh, set up a chabrusa with me and Mrs. Torsky, who used to come in and teach once in a while in the seminary. So I started learning. But then um, word got out on the street. So my mother said, you're not allowed. My brother, okay, so let's, let's combine this. My brother got married to this girl. Her parents did not know that he was Chabad. They found that after he was married, they were very upset about it. Um, he moved to Muncie. I'm sorry? No, no, no. Till today, he was a Strymo. First of all, I'll tell you who my brother is. Some of you might know him. Rabbi Wolf from my Yisrael in Los Angeles. Lenny, of you know? That's my brother. It all makes sense now, right? If Rabbi Wolf was sitting in your house teaching you, Chassidus, of course you've become Chabad. He was my first teacher. I was his first class of student, actually. I was the first one to learn from him. Yes, the whole Mashiach thing. Yeah, yeah. He was involved now by Kinesa Shluchas to create, to kind of bridge the two groups together. By Kinesa Shluchas, they had now. Who broke the wall? No, no, no. That was my younger brother. 
<laughs> he didn't break my he didn't heart. Break <laughs> I didn't break his heart. Maybe I did another way. I was a big troublemaker. But no, that was my younger brother. This is my older brother. And he, um, yeah, so he's, so, so he, till today, he was a strimal. He was the lavush. Um, but so he got married and he moved to Muncie. And my poor sister, I don't know why she put up with me. I started learning Hasidus and I got very excited. So I would go to them every Shabbos. <laughs> They're newly married. And I was like, hi, I'm here. Literally Shana was Shana, poor girl. I'm here. I'm learning till two o'clock every Friday night, 2 a.m. Um, I was just very clueless, um, but uh, she was very sweet about it. Anyway, so we, I learned a lot of Hasidus. I mean, I would go very often. And oh, every time he was 19 when he got married. And every time, so when I knocked on the door, um, you, his house, he lived in a little apartment then. And you walked in like straight into his dining room. He had a big picture of the Rebbe on one side and a big picture of the Alter Rebbe on the other side. Wait, like his first year of marriage? Yes. And then the first, the first time that anytime somebody knocked on the door, we pulled off the pictures and we stuck them underneath the couch because we didn't know if the in-laws were coming and he wasn't. So his wife, so she was, she was like, wasn't, she was like kind of ambivalent about it. I, I don't know. I have to like ask her exactly what she thought, but she was like, okay, then I actually spent, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I spent a summer in Mahonkana in Tannersville one year and I told, um, uh, Sarah, Sarah Lubkowski, you must bring my brother out. He's an amazing Kassidus teacher. I mean, he was the only one I really knew then. I mean, then I started getting cassettes from Rabbi, Rabbi Manus Friedman and Rabbi, um, Rabbi Majeski and whatever. But first I was learning from my brother. So she, they brought him out for one summer. He must have been like early 20s. And they brought him out for one summer. And that summer, she really got to experience Chabad Chassidus for the first time. And now they're on Shluchas in LA. They didn't go to LA on Shluchas. They actually went to LA for him to teach there. But then, so in the beginning, her parents were very, very upset about it. Um, over the years, they've seen what he has created, the shul that he's created, the community that he's created, and they've become much more open to it. But my parents, once word got out on the street that I was Chabad, my mother said, you're not allowed to go to Rivi anymore. Oh, my brother I wasn't allowed to go to him anymore um so I wasn't this was high school beginning of high school beginning of middle of high school I wasn't allowed to go to him he would come to our house every time he would come to our house we would go down to the basement to learn and the brother who broke with the walkman would sit on top of the steps and if somebody was coming down we would hide the safe around we'd make like, believe I, that we were you know it's, we, it's like the dreidel yeah, a real life Hanukkah story <laughs> Why? So, so I think you have to understand that this is almost 27 years ago. Now, 27 years ago, people did not. Okay, this was no longer than 27 years ago, because Gimel Thomas was how many years ago? Now, 33, 29, 29 or 30, already or 29? Okay, 29. So Gimel Thomas happened the end of 11th grade, and this was so. This was 30 years ago, and people even before. Because this was two or three years before Gamal Thomas. So people, the, the Rebbe was very revolutionary. People did not understand the whole mitzvah tank thing. They didn't understand. They would say, you have to understand that if you think that a mitzvah is just to get you your olam haba, you don't understand that you take a whole bunch of bachurim on Friday afternoon and you put them in Manhattan where there's pritzos and there's, you know, ladies walking around, whatever, and you're taking them away from Bittul Taira and you're, you're, why are you doing this? So they should get one Jew who's walking out of McDonald's who just had a cheeseburger and you're going to get him to put on tefillin. What are you accomplishing with that tefillin? 
What are you accomplishing? So that Jew is going to get three points. You think he's going to get his gun aided? Meanwhile, the bucher saw a lady, whatever, and 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 is not learning tire and whatever. He's losing thirty points, and this guy got ten little points for putting on. When you look at it that way, you don't understand what the Reb is saying. When you have to put on fill in, you don't understand that you that 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 the whole world might be changing for this one yid to put on fill in to say a bracha. So you, we don't know what we're accomplishing when we take that, when we do that. So they don't understand why they're doing this. They don't understand, you know, there were so many things, the whole Mashiach thing. They're like, why is the Rebbe talking about Mashiach? Why is the Rebbe cooking with Mashiach? Why is the Rebbe, like, Mashiach is, is you know, let's worry about our Lashon Haran. Let's worry about our Tzniyas. And let's worry about our, because those are the things that we have to worry about. And if we're all good enough, then, you know, Hashem will bring Mashiach. But but we, we have to, you know, why are we talking about Mashiach? Because for us, we're already doing it. Right, right. We don't even know because when we're going to go to Ghana, we're going to get it anyway, right? Now I think it's very different. First of all, Hasidus is infiltrated. By the time I was writing in 12th grade, I was already sitting in class and hearing certain things and being like, oh my gosh, that's Chabad. <laughs> I stopped saying it because I knew I'd get into trouble. But like, I realized that the Hasidus were really, really infiltrated by then. Um, but so... So at one point, so I wasn't allowed to go to my brother and we weren't supposed to be learning. No, so he would, he would, he would, he would tell us when someone's coming. So we'd make believe we weren't learning. Um, Yes, yes. And so we, um, they were very, they were very upset about it. Um, I, they once found out that I was going to a weekly shear, a a monthly shear. I would go to Rabbi Hamnick in, um, actually that was when I was called into my principal's office because I went to Rabbi Hamnick. Rabbi Hamnick was very mishachist actually at that point. And um, so my principal called me and and I told him the whole story with the, with the bridge and how this is making me close. He says, okay, fine. We're going to let you learn chassidus, but you have to learn with the people that we approve. You can't go to Rabbi Hamnick. They told my parents, and my parents said, you're not allowed to go out to Rabbi Hamnick anymore. And I remember, like, my mother telling me, like, okay, fine, you want to listen to, because I used to listen, so my brother wasn't always around, so I I got cassettes from my brother. I got all of Rabbi Majeski's tapes, and all of Rabbi, a lot of Rabbi Friedman's tapes. Rabbi Majeski has an amazing series, by the way, and where he goes all the way, because what happened was, I wasn't learning it in an organized fashion. Every time my brother was learning something, he was learning a sikha, he was learning a mimer. I would just sit down and start learning with him. And then we'd come across a word, atzilus. And I was like, what's atzilus? So we had to backtrack and he would have to explain everything to me. So he told me, you know what? I need you to get the fundamentals. So he gave me this um, set of cassettes and it starts off with what is chassidus and what is chabad chassidus. And then the Rebbe Majeski in a very, very clear manner, I really liked it. And then I got Manus Friedman's tape. Manus Friedman's a little bit all over the place, but like good stuff. So I, I started hearing his things. My mother, I remember my mother telling me like, fine, you want to sit and learn this stuff? Sit in your room and listen all night. I don't care. Just don't tell anyone because then nobody is going to marry you. <laughs> that was the big problem. So that was... Yeah, yeah, yes, but you know, it's gonna shock the shidduch, you know. Yeah, by the time you're in eight, 12th grade already, everyone's you know figuring out what's gonna happen with you. So, so yeah, they were very opposed to it. So, my brother, um, so how did he end up in LA? He was teaching in, 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 um, in Muncie, it wasn't really working. And then he was brought out to Taurus MS in Los Angeles. And he was he was just teaching in a regular yeshiva there, but he started getting a chassidah share at night. And people really liked it. So they said, you know, why don't you open a shul? And he was looking all over. He was trying to find a shul. He wasn't going to become a shliach. He just wanted to have a shul. And every place that he was trying to set up, it kept them falling through. And he met Rabbi Kunin. And he was telling him, Rabbi Kunin says, you know why? 
You know why you're not? Because you're not a shliach of the Rebbe. Once you have, once I make you an official shliach of the Rebbe, you're going to be, you're going to have the Rebbe's bracha behind you and you're going to find a place. Literally the next day he signed the lease. <laughs> my brother has crazy stories. My brother has crazy Igor stories and like, it's incredible. Yes. <laughs> next time he's here, I'll try to get him to come. He's, but you know what the thing is with him? He has so much chassidus and he knows so much chassidus and like his pinky that he doesn't even want to say stories. He just wants to teach chassidus. Like he just, if you ever heard him speaking, like he just, that's his passion and his joy and he just wants to teach. Um, so he is moved he like to LA. I'm sorry. So what happened was, so I graduated high school. Um, I, my friends, a lot of my friends were going to seminary in Israel. My parents did not want me to go to seminary. None of my siblings had gone to seminary. They didn't want me to go. So I went to half day seminary in, in um, uh, my school. My school had a seminary half day and half a day. I was got a job. <laughs> I got a job working in a high school teaching. And I literally just graduated and I was teaching. Why? Because there were a whole bunch of schools. This was the 90s. In the 80s, a lot of Russians had come out of Russia. And there were a lot of kids who they wanted to get them out of the public schools. So they created these schools, these Russian schools, to teach these kids Yiddishkeit. Um, and they had no budget. They couldn't pay anyone. So they got these 18-year-old <laughs> schnooks from, from the end that we got it. But we were very good teachers because we were so passionate. I remember, I remember it was called Nefesh academy and i loved it it was an amazing work i loved it i remember one day one of my students walked in and she's like miss wolf i'm turning 18 today and i'm thinking to myself oh my gosh i'm turning 18 in two weeks no 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 19 turning 19 in two weeks she was i was younger than her but it was an amazing job but so i was in seminary and i was learning this on the side and my parents had to find a shilk for me um and they the first year that i was out of high school nothing came up and my mother's like, you see, because everyone knows you're Chabad. Feigen, the very word. Feigen, no, my class was, I did not want to get married, but that no, wasn't up for discussion. <laughs> um, but they, my, um, my class, no, a lot of, but you see, because I went to a school, like a basic school, there were girls who were more litish. A lot of girls went to seminary. A lot of girls, you know, were going to college. A lot, I just, in my, my family was very chassidish. So that's what they wanted. So they called my, um, what was I going to say? Um, no, no. So my mother, I remember my mother telling me, you see, everyone knows you're Chabad and now there's no Shadokham for you. And she was very upset about it. And that summer I actually went away. I actually convinced them I'm not going, I didn't go to seminary, but I want to go for the summer. So I went to, um, I went to, uh, what's it called again? Um, I went to, no, not Mechokhana, that I did two years later. I still wasn't married two years later. It was terrible. But I went to Nebe Yerushalayim. I knew they wouldn't let me go to Chabate, but I went to Nebe Yerushalayim. Nebe, I actually had a little, like, crisis over there, existential crisis, because over there, it's not Chabad, but we started learning a lot more ideology. So in school, so I was like, you know, maybe I could, because I was like, I have to marry Chabad. And then I was like, maybe I could, even my parents are so opposed to it, and how am I going to find the Chabad boy? Maybe I could live in Bar Park and live like this life and, and just teach my kids the Hasidus that I'm learning so that I could, and like maybe, because I see that there is more meaning, and as I was getting older and I was learning more, and then I remember like finishing the summer and saying to myself, like, I know how much, like, cause even though I was there and I was learning and I enjoyed what I was learning, I still kept on going to Chabad library. Like twice a week, there was a Chabad library in Shalim, And I kept on going and I kept on going to this year. And I'm like, Gitti, 
why would you settle for Yiddishkeit, which, okay, now you're connected to Yiddishkeit, so now you feel the beauty in things, and now you feel, I didn't fully feel the beauty of Shabbos yet until after I was married for way many years. I didn't fully feel the beauty of everything, but like things were slowly shifting for me. So I know that this is out there, and I know that I could teach it to my kids. So so if you're feeling that, so maybe you don't need to be Chabad, you don't need to be living in Bar Park or living uh, living in Kranheizen uh, and, and living on Shluchus and sending your kids to Chabad school. Like maybe you could, you know, live the Bar Park lifestyle, but know the Chassidus. But I was like, if you know that there is this incredible, you know, uh, knowledge. And as I started learning Hasidus, I was like, okay, I learned Tanya. Okay, what? Even though I didn't fully learn. Okay. But then there's Sichas and there's Mambarim and this. And I came to Crown Heights for a Shabbos. And, and I was like, why would I give my kids like half the, the thing if I could give them the whole thing? Like, why would I give them like a glimmer of it or a taste of it? Like, why shouldn't they have the whole experience? Why shouldn't they go to Beis Rifko? Why shouldn't they go to Fabrengans? Why shouldn't they go to Tamchitim? Like, you know, so, so even though I was like struggling back and forth, I came back from that summer even like more determined. Um, so the first boy that actually that I met, my parents came to me and they said, you know, there's a shul in Barapra called Amunas Yisrael. Amunas Yisrael is like, they're very spiritual. They're very into, there's, there's uh, the Rav over there is Rabbi, I forgot his name, but he's very spiritual. And he actually also learns a little bit of Tanya and he teaches it like a little bit of Hasidus. He teaches a little bit. So he, um, you could, uh, uh, there's a Bachar there that we found out about him and he's okay with you learning Tanya. <laughs> I'll allow it. And I remember I met him, we had a Bisho, which is a sit-in um, and my parents were in the other room and there was sliding doors and I came out and I said, there's no way I'm getting married like this. I have to go out. I have to date. If I'm sitting in, I, I can't talk with you sitting there. So, <laughs> so they let me go on a date. I was the first one to go on dates in my family. I think I'm maybe the only one to, I went on dates and I was like, okay, very nice. This guy's like, there's no connection between me and him. Like I'm learning like real true chassidus and he's like getting little crumbs. Like well, I, I can't. So I told my parents, I can only marry Chabad. Like, if you want me to marry, only marry Chabad. And they're like, how are we going to find your Chabad boy? How are we going to, they, and, and you know what? Now I understand it. Like, I feel bad for them because like, really they were clueless. And my brother felt like felt the burden also. He was trying to, I will tell you this, Sterni Ginsburg moved onto my block. I don't know if you know Sterni Ginsburg. She wrote my awesome self. Yay. She went on Shluchas to Bar Park, which I believe is the hardest Shluchas in the world. I mean, maybe Curious Yael or Monroe is harder, but um, she moved in and I felt really like that was one sign that I felt like Hashem was really sending someone to me <laughs> and uh, showing me that this was the right, because I kept on questioning if this was the right thing, because I would say to myself, if there's a, a, a teenage girl who goes to Chabad and wants to start keeping Shabbos. And her parents are telling her that they should come to the movies with her Friday night. And she disobeys them because she wants to keep Shabbos. She's allowed to. My parents are not telling me not to be from. My parents are not telling me not to keep kosher, kosher or not keep, keep Shabbos. They're just telling me not to come. So do I have a right to disobey them and to disagree with them? And I mean, I came to Crown Heights for Shabbos. I told them I was going to Muncie and I came to Crown Heights and I lied to them. And I really struggled with that. I'm like, I'm doing this to become, to inspire myself and learn more. But are the means, do the means justify the ends? Like, is it, do the ends justify the means? Like, is it, is it worth it? Is it right? And really I should have asked the Rav, but I didn't want to ask the Rav because I thought he would tell me, no, you have to listen to your parents. So I just kept on doing this. And I remember feeling like so torn about it. And and so 
it was it was really a big struggle. But Sterni, so so at then at one point we Sterni moved into my block, literally two houses away, and I feel so bad for her because she they were very smart when they came into Bar Park. They knew like Remendel Vector was kicked out of, of, of um, <coughs> Satmar. And, you know, like they knew that, that if they come into Borough Park Chabad house, everyone would be like, what are you doing here? So she came in and she started a lunch and learn. It was called Mayan Chai, her library. And she had a lunch and learn. And she put out beautiful salads and people would come and they would learn. And then after coming seven, eight times, they realized, oh, okay, she's a little Chabad. But they're like, oh, what she's teaching is not radical. It's not all yellow flags. It's not all like, I'm actually learning things that are meaningful and relevant and beautiful. And it's such a, and so that's how they kind of like got into Bar Park and like, you know, but Eifen HaMistabel. I remember, how did she spread the word? I came home from camp one summer and there were signs for, it was a high Elo event, even though they didn't say it was high Elo, they just had an event and they said Miriam Swerloff is speaking. Now, for some reason, Miriam Swerloff was kosher in Bar Park. Even yes. my school bought her. I don't know why. Yeah, Rabbi Shays Taub and Miriam Swerloff. And now Rabbi Jacobson also, Rabbi YY. But in, then Miriam Swerloff, <clears throat> excuse me. It's so funny. And I was like, Miriam Swerloff is coming. She's Chabad. So I went to the event. And I came to the event and because I wanted to hear her, I was all excited because I knew because I had snuck into Crown Heights and I had heard her in Crown Heights. So I came to the event, but this was in my park. This was okay. I was allowed to go. And I came to the event and I'm like looking who's in charge. And I see this cute little lady, Sterni Gisenberg. And I went over to her and I'm talking. She's like, oh yeah, I have this library. And then I realized, oh my gosh, this is two houses away from me. And I walked into her house. And I was like, oh my God. And I, like I did with my brother Shabbos, that every Shabbos moving in, I like planted myself in Sterni Gisenberg's house. The poor woman, I didn't leave. Um, but she was amazing. I mean, I did leave. But, but the problem was, is she was worried that my parents would get really upset at her. Like, we're trying not to. So she was like, she was very torn, I think. I mean, you know, I, I can't speak for her, but on one hand, like, she really wanted to help me. And especially during Shaduchim, like, like, I would ask her about, like, names that came yeah, up. Or By then. And originally, no. She moved in when I was still in high school. I think going into 10th or 11th grade. Um, I, I learned a ton from her. But uh, a couple of years ago, I spoke somewhere and her daughter was like, hi, I'm her daughter. And I remember her. And she was like, it was just so funny. It was like full circle. But anyway, um, so so she was very torn about it because she wasn't coming to like teach the youth and take them away from her parent, you know, and she really just wanted to spread chasidus in Bar Park and like a very and not, you know, like in your face way. And, and she knew that my parents were not happy about it. So I think it was very hard for them. Um, but what happened was, Lamaisa, I ended up getting get engaged when I was, I think, 21. Yes, 21. <laughs> so what happened was, they did find a Lubavitcher, but that wasn't my husband's. The first Lubavitcher, I went out, I come home, my parents are planning the Lachayim because he's Lubavitch. <laughs> and I'm like, no, he's not for me. <laughs> what? And they're like... Like, you know, your sister met a boy and she married him. And your other sister met a boy and she married him. And your brother met a girl and she met, and you're like, and we have to find Lubavitch. And then we find you a Lubavitcher that we kind of feel like, okay, they're a Balbatisha family. I don't know if you know what Balbatisha means. Like Heimish and yeah. They use China, they don't use plastic on Chavez. It's like, it's very, it's very important. Anyway, so, so like, and, and, and you can't, and then, and then finally one boy and then another boy. And then what happened was when I was still in high school, again, I was very vocal about Hasidus. So I would come to 
a Shabbos kala or whatever, or a Shabbos gathering with my friends, and we'll be talking about shopping and books and whatever. And then, you know, maybe someone would say it's very Torah. So something we learned, I mean, the two things that we really learned, we were really drilled into learning after school was Chafetz Chaim, Helchas Lashon Hara, and Sneas. Like those are the things that you, so some of you would say something about one of those things. And I would like have learned something on the Parsha and get into like my whole esoteric thing. I remember getting into a huge argument with a friend. Um, uh, she wasn't even actually a friend. She was a friend of a friend, but we were talking about, I was talking about how Hashem is in everything and Hashem is constantly, that when Hashem is, it, when we say that Hashem is in this world, that Hashem is constantly creating every single object in this world, every single second. And I said, this cup, Hashem is in this cup. Hashem's energy is in this cup. If Hashem didn't want it to exist right now, it would cease to exist. These six cups, they would cease to exist. And this, so right now, Hashem is pouring his energy into this world at this moment. This world, means that every single second he's recreating the world. And if he didn't want this phone to exist, it wouldn't exist. If he didn't want this phone to exist, it wouldn't exist. And she was like, what do you mean? There are so many things that are coming in this world. How could, how could you say Hashem is in them? I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like, if Hashem's not in them, then there's a tummy God. So you're saying that Shema Yishol Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad is not true? Because when we say Hashem is God, Echad, Hashem is one, we means that there is just one thing in this world, that there is nothing else besides God. And you're saying, no, there's a God. And I said, come with me, come with me. And she said, what do you mean? I took her down the hallway and I walked into the bathroom and I opened the toilet seat and I looked down and I said, you know, down there at the bottom of the toilet, there there, right there, at the bottom of the toilet. And she was like, And I'm like, no, because if you don't believe that God is in the bottom of the toilet bowl, you're saying there's two gods. There's God for everything, and then there's toilet bowl God, right? No, God has to be creating this toilet bowl because otherwise it would not exist. I said, I'm sorry, but you're the Apicarist because when you say Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, you're saying there is nothing besides God. So there are things in this world that look like that, that they're opposite to God, but really God is in everything. And it was, and when you think about it, when you think about it, there are from Yidin in this world, right? Who say Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, and, they, and that's the most basic den, and that's what, that's, that's what we died when we, when we, Al-Kiddush Hashem, that's what we say, and we don't even know what we're saying. You could, you could live 75 years as a completely from Yid and not know what Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad means. But like they say, for yes, sir. And like, don't they make brachis parties ever? Yes, for sure. <laughs> A hundred percent. So I'm thanking Hashem for my bodily functions, but to actually prove to, like to, to that, 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 to take it so far as saying as God is in everything. I'll be like, Oh, so you don't believe in God? You don't think there's a God because you're scared that's going to happen? It's like, it's like in the details of your life now. Are you serious about this? No, not everyone stops to think about each one of them. Right. It's just taking it to the nth degree. It's just saying, what does it really mean when I'm saying Hashem Achad? What does it really mean? I mean, even us, do we think about that? Do we think about the unity of Hashem? Do we think about that me and you are really just one? When I'm angry at you, I'm not thinking that we're really one. That's how we have to learn Paraklam and Beis and Tanya, right? Because I forget it. In this world, it's very easy to lose sight of that. But it's also, it's not taught to the degree. I feel like a lot of Yiddishkeit outside of Chabad focuses on 
what you're supposed to do and what you're not allowed to do. And that exactly, I, I remember sitting through classes and Hashem's name is not even uttered. Like, it's not even like that we could talk about Hashem. We talk about what Hashem wants and how Hashem punishes and how Hashem rewards, but not what is Hashem, that Hashem desires. I never heard the word that Hashem wants, that Hashem desires, that Hashem needs my mitzvah. This is how Hashem relates to me. This is, this is Hashem's attributes. He has chesed, he has gvura, he has teferis, he has hod, he has netzach, he has all of these things. And this is how he relates to me. And I, and it mirrors within myself also. I could tell you all the halachas of I could tell you all the halachas of kashas, I could tell you, but the, the ideological aspect, the way Hashem operates, the way Hashem creates this world, the way Hashem um, relates to this world, the way Hashem relates to us as Yidin, that the relationship aspect of it, that's not really studied and discussed. At least I wasn't exposed to it. And if you think about it, really, Chabad Chasidis is Chachma Bin Adas. So yes, my parents are Chasidish and they have a Rebbe and they go to the Rebbe and they're connected to the Rebbe and they ask the Rebbe all their questions and they get kosher, not, it's not kosher bracha, but they get shrayim and they have, they don't have farbringans, they have a tish and they have, but in outside of Chabad, all the other Chasidis are Chagas. Chesed Gvur and Teferis. So it's the emotional part. So you have the singing and you have the davening. You have the stories. The Rebbe has to learn the Chasidis. And by you connecting to the Rebbe, you get the Shrayim. You get the bits and pieces. But Chabad is the only one that says you need to learn it. You need to understand it. You need to think about Hashem. You need to understand how Hashem operates. You need to, it's not just that this is what Hashem wants from you, and now I just have to figure out how to do it. This is why Hashem wants it from. This is what Hashem wants out of the world. This is what your purpose is about. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I know that I have to say Asher I know that when I leave the bathroom, I have to say Asher And I also even learn a little bit more of the mis- You know, it's so nice to thank Hashem. And could you imagine if you, when you're constipated for three days, you, you really appreciate Asher right? So, you know, you, you learn it about a little bit more, but with, you know, in, in, in to actually say God is in the toilet bowl, like it sounds blasphemous unless you know that God is in everything. Um, I'm sorry, yes. Yeah. Um kind of feels like we're forced, no? To like take your time. Yes. Oh, okay. So my husband, I got distracted. So I was I was at the Shabbos table and one of the girls like, Oh, you like Chabad, you're Chabad, whatever. Oh, so people would ask me, What do you mean you're Chabad? I would say, I'm Chabad. And they'll be, What do you mean you're Chabad? I'm like well, I learned Hasidus. And they're like, what do you mean you learned? What, what's learning Hasidus? And so I would start explaining things because if you're Babiv, you're Babiv until you get married. And then if you marry a Satmar, now you're a Satmar. And if you're a Vizhnitz, you're, Vizhnitz, you're not Vizhnitz, you're Vizhnitz because you go to the Vizhnitz Rebbe. And if you're, you marry a, a, a Staliner and you start going to Stavl, now you're going to become Stalin. So they were like, if your father's not Chabad, how are you Chabad? And I would say, well, I'm learning this chassidus. And I, I loved it because I would say, I'm chabad. And they're like, what do you mean? Chabad? Ah, 
funny you should ask. I'll tell you. <laughs> and I'll start telling them. So we got into all these discussions. So this girl, I, she didn't even know me very well. She tells my she tells my friend, oh, I think I have such a good shidduch for her because Wait, I have. This was just at a friend. We were, not, it's not Shabbos. We were like after Shabbos afternoon. And so it wasn't a friend of mine. I was at a friend and she had other friends over. And she's like, oh, I have such a good idea. I have this guy. Um, I have a, a cousin who's um, <laughs> one part of the family became Chabad and they have a son. And I think it'll be a very good shidduch. So my friend tells me and I'm like, this girl doesn't know me from Adam. She doesn't know anything about me. He's Chabad. He's a boy. She can marry him. I'm like, thank you very much. That was every shidduch that came up. I'm like, maybe it needs to like work for me. You know, like I just, I really, so I refused to hear about it and, and goodbye. I didn't hear about it. Two years later. Were you I No, I was 18 then. Mm-hmm. Two years later, it was a 12th grade. So I had either been 17 or almost 18. So two years later or two and a half. No, no, no. Later, three, three and a half years later, or it was already my third year out of school or maybe my fourth year. Wait a minute. I got, I got engaged at 21 and I graduated at 18. So three years later. My sister calls up my parents. She calls me up. She didn't even call my parents. Actually, maybe she spoke to my parents, but then she called me and she says, Gitty, I have an aunt who has cousins who are Al-Chabad. And I'm like, Devari, leave me alone. I don't want to hear about it. I'm like thinking to myself, they're just trying to come to me to meet another boy. He's not really Lubavitch. Like, come on, if Devari knows about him, he's not really Lubavitch. I did not want to meet him. I refused to meet him. Also, what had happened was, is that a name came up for me, um, not to my parents, but to me personally, people started coming. As I got to know more a lot of people, you know, they knew I was looking for a shidduch. So someone came over to me and said, I have, I, I don't know if I should mention this to you, but I met this guy and I think he would be perfect for you. He's a Valchuba. And I was like, there's no way. Like one thing Chabad, another thing Valchuba, like my parents will not deal with it. And then another person came to me and told me that another person. And I was like, same okay, guy. same guy came up from like four different people. And I'm like, and you're like, oh, that's a sign, right? Like that's a sign. Mm-hmm. So I called my friend up and I said, listen, I'm going to come to your house. He's going to pick me up from your house. I'm not going to tell my parents. This was very rebellious, by the way. So I met this guy and things were progressing. And then I realized I had to tell my father was always more chill about the whole said this thing because, because as my brother was learning more and more, my father started learning more and more with him. So my father was learning more Chassidus. My mother did not want me to marry Lubavitch, but my father was learning more Chassidus. So he was like a little bit more okay with it. So um, I, I t- told my father that I met this boy and he's a Balchuva and I think it might, I said, I'm not sure what's going to happen. I think it might go. So, um, so my father knew about it. And then like, we kind of hit a roadblock and it wasn't, and my father told me, listen, Gitti, if you really think that it's the right thing, I'm going to go to this rub that mommy like really respects. And I'm going to tell him that this is, this is my daughter. And this is this woman. He knows already about you because we kept on going for breakfast. They went to breakfast <laughs> all over the Tasha Reva, the Rachmas Rivka Reva, the this Reva everywhere because never I'm 20 years old and I'm not married. So <laughs> they went all over to get these brachas. So they said, they know you. So we'll say she found the Shidduch, but he's about Shiva. So he's going to say that it was his idea. And he's going to tell mommy it was his idea. I hope my mother doesn't see this thing. He's going to tell mommy, I should love him. Where does this get posted? He's going to tell mommy that this is this idea. And meanwhile, the shidduch didn't happen. We hit like a, a roadblock and it didn't end up happening. I didn't, but I was so worn out from those dates. Like it was, it was two months of like dating seriously and it didn't work out and it was very hard. And my sister called me up literally like two weeks later. And I'm like, and in my head, I'm like, I'm taking a break. I'm not meeting another boy until after the summer. This was like February time. 
<laughs> so they come in, my parents come. So my sister tells me my cousin and she, and she thinks that it's a great idea for you. And I'm like, leave me alone. I, I said, the very, I need to marry someone really Lubavitch. Don't like bring me someone who's semi Lubavitch. Like I'm marrying a Lubavitch. I know that everyone's upset about it, but I, this is it. This You're is so the life true. that I want. I was very determined. I was very stubborn. Really. There were times when I fluctuated. There were times when I really doubted myself. And there were times when I, I, it was, it was uh, emotionally, it was, it was a roller coaster. Especially because there were times when my mother, like when my mother gets stressed, she gets physically ill. And there were times when she got like really like sick. And I'm like, how do I have a right to make my mother sick? Like, and I felt so bad because I knew it was me. And I was like, maybe I should just make them happy and marry whoever they want me to. And like, you know, when you get into them, oh, you're like, fine, I'll just marry whoever you want me to marry. I'm like, and then I was like, no, but I can't like. So, uh, yeah, I was the oldest at home. So I, um, so my sister told me so much, and then she took comments to my parents. And so I'm like, fine, I'll meet him once. I'm going to say no. And that's it. And I didn't even like put on makeup. Like I was like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't care about this boy, whatever. I mean, I put on a little, I didn't care what I was wearing. And he came to, he actually came, my parents wanted to meet him first. So he came to the house to meet my parents for a few minutes. And then my parents didn't want people to see us see that I was dating. So he would leave and pick me up like a few blocks away. I would go and meet him a few blocks away. Oh so, so he's sitting there and I'm looking at him and he walked in and he's, the other like, like my kids would, my, my friends would always joke. I used to go to a camp called Camp Vega and Camp Vega was down the road from Ganyas Yisrael. And once I started becoming Chabad, my friends would all be like, oh, there's a cute Lubavitcher. There's a good name. They would try to find Shaduchim for me. But they would always say, you could spot a Chabad Bachar 10 miles away because the sits are hanging out and the fat is smashed. And like the Lutzish boys are like very tucked in, whatever. Even the Hasidish boys, they're like more. So the other Lubavitcher boys that I met, like put on a shirt, like, like they tucked their shirts in. They looked like very presentable. Till today, my husband's like, Baruch Hashem, very successful businessman. He's just, he's not like a Thai guy. And he's just like more like, and he tries or whatever. No, so he came, like his shirt was talking, but his like collar was like, well, I just, I totally remember like it bothered my mother so hard that his, the collar, and I couldn't care less, but we went out and I was kind of interested. It wasn't like he, so I came home and my mother's like, no, right? And I'm like, I'm like, you know what? I'll meet him again. She's like, what? She's like, oh, his, he looks like such a schlock. <laughs> and then I'm like, if my mother doesn't like him, that's it. He's probably the right one. <laughs> Two weeks later, we were engaged. Wow. I was shocked because I had dated. I had dated guys for longer, like even other Lubavitcher guys that my parents knew about. Two weeks. How did I know the right one? I will, yes, five dates. He proposed on the fifth date. Oh, after the first date, you're like, ah. No, the first date, I wasn't sure. The second date was much better. The third date, we had a huge argument. Oh, Massive. I almost made him take me home in the middle. Um, I do remember, but I'm not going to say why, <laughs> but it's okay. I've been very open about everything, but we had a massive argument. It was actually on top of the World Trade Center. Oh and after September, my husband was actually there on September 11th because he's nine. He's he's a Hatala, but we're like we're very connected. I remember I was so angry at him, but I still wanted to see him again. I was like, okay, maybe there's something here. How did I know that he was the right one? I will tell you this. I will tell you this. Um, every other 
I, I was talking to my sister-in-law. At that point, my brother and my sister-in-law were kind of my mashbia. They knew me very, very, very well. And I would talk to them a lot about things. And my sister, so my brother, I would have like the more deep philosophical discussions. My sister-in-law is very practical and very down to earth. And I was talking to my sister-in-law and I said, you know, the reason why I didn't want to meet him was because there were a whole bunch of things on my list that he didn't fit. Like there were certain things I only, yeah, we did, a, yeah, not that much. We really didn't do that much because my parents were like, okay, fine, she's probably going to say no anyway. So like, what do we care? And I remember like when I was, when we were getting serious, I remember telling my, my father, like I could be dating a serial killer. Like, I don't know, you barely <laughs> did research on him. Um, but um, no, so there were a lot of things that I had heard. I spoke to my sister's aunt that I had heard about him that I felt were not aligned to me. And I, <laughs> And what happened was the day, the, there was a guy that I had met before the Valtruva, before that, that on paper, he was like everything. And I ended up dating him for about two months because I kept on saying like, okay, I'm going to feel something. I'm going to feel something because he's perfect. So it's the right one. But I just, I didn't feel comfortable with him and I didn't feel like myself. And I, I, I didn't feel like I could see. I remember like my parents really like pressuring me, like, come on, come on. It was his parents wanted to come in. To town. He was from out of town to meet me. And, and it was, and my father took me to the aisle actually. Now I wasn't allowed to go to the aisle before that point. I remember for my 18th birthday, I keep on going off on tangent, sorry. But I remember for my 18th birthday, or my birthday present, I asked my father to take me to the aisle because um, I wasn't, my parent, my mother didn't want me to go. And I, but I told my father, please, for my 18th birthday, I knew that they would start with Shaduchim at 18 and I was very nervous about it. So I wanted to go to the aisle. Um, and the other times that I went to the aisle, I took the bus to the train. I took all the way to Jamaica and then another bus. I didn't know about the aisle bus. I literally took me like two hours to get to the aisle from Bar Park. So I went by myself through these crazy neighborhoods. <laughs> and then I walked in, in, in there, there, like, you know, those we're 122nd, 123rd, like walk. This is before Google Maps, everyone, by the way. I don't even know how I found it. But so, so um, my father took me to the aisle. And when we were, while we were at the aisle, my father met the husband of the Shatrin from this Shaduch that I had. This wasn't my husband. This was the previous guy before. And we got to the car. My, my father's like, Gitty, I don't know what you're waiting for. I don't know if you're waiting for some fairy tale, whatever. And I'm telling you, this is not what, you know, what Jewish marriage is about. And you just, if, if, you, if he's right on paper, just say yes. And I burst into tears and I was like, I don't know why. Cause he was like, tell me why, tell me why you can't marry this boy. And I was like, I don't know why I just can't marry this boy. And my father said, fine, I'm going to tell the chaplain. It's not, you're not ready now, but maybe later I said, no, I dated this guy like 10 times already. And I didn't feel anything for him. Like, I'm not going to end up marrying him. Like don't string him along. Cause he really like was ready, you know, to get engaged. And I, and I was like, what's wrong with me? Like, if they finally found me a Lubavitcher boy and everything's, but with my husband was the opposite. Like there were so many things that were not what I wanted, but I just, I was talking to my sister-in-law she's like, Kitty, you sound so relaxed and you sound so calm and you sound like, so yourself. And I was like, yeah, like we could sit for hours and just schmooze. And I'm like, I'm not nervous and I'm not tense. and I'm not thinking about what I'm like, I'm just me. Like I'm just, and it almost, it was so interesting to me because I remember one of my students when I was teaching in Efesh Academy and I was telling my students about, I didn't teach a lot of Hasidists there because it wasn't a Chabad school, but a little bit here and there, I would teach a little bit. And 
um, we had a Shabbaton with the students and one of the girls were saying, you know, it's so easy. She was talking to all the teachers. She was like, you know, it's so easy for you um, to be from because you grew up with it. It's so natural to you. So I actually sat with the girls late one night. We kind of had a fabrengan and I told them my story. I said, you know, I, even though I grew up with it, I really struggled with my Yiddish kind. I really journeyed. And I, I'm from today because of the chassidus that I'm learning. And so I started telling them. So, so one of the girls is like, okay, fine. So before you were brainwashed in one way, and now you're being brainwashed in another way. And I said, you know what? I said, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to tell you that I'm not being brainwashed. I said, but I just want you to know that when I learned chassidus, it's not just that I understand. Remember when I read that book and I understood the answers, it made sense in my mind. I said, but when I learned Hasidus, I knew it was right. It spoke to something that was beyond my brain. You know, it says that there's a idea that we use, and then there's a re'iyah. There's something that you see, and then there's knowing, and then there's a seeing besides knowing. When, if you have to leave, if anybody has to leave, feel, please feel free to leave, by the way, because we're way past the time. And I know it's late and people have jobs and whatever. I'm just here to talk. But if you anyone needs to leave, please feel free to leave. I will not be insulted. <laughs> um, but I remember saying, you know, when I learned Hasidus, it wasn't, I didn't feel like I was convincing myself of something. I felt like, oh, this makes sense in a way where it was like, almost like my gut felt that it was right more than just my brain even though there were so many things in my brain that I was learning Hasidus and yes my brain was stimulated but even more than that I felt like like when I was learning Tanya the altar ever sees me as a person and this talks to me as a person and I said and you know what once I learned about Yichida someone could stand up here and prove to me mathematically that God doesn't exist in, in a very mathematical way, I, I would say, you're talking to me. You're talking to me, right? You are talking to me. That means you believe I exist because you're looking at me and you're talking to me. If I exist, God exists. So if you're talking to me, you're talking to God. So you cannot tell me. It's as if you're trying to prove to me mathematically that I don't exist. That's what I feel like once I started learning Hasidus, that I felt so connected to it in an essential way. So if you're trying to tell me that I don't exist, then why are you talking to me? Because then you're talking, then you're crazy because you're talking to a non you're, you're talking to yourself. But if you're talking to me, that means God exists because that's, that's what I understood when I, once I started learning, I said this, my own existence by learning about it. So, and that's what I felt. I told my sister-in-law, I'm like, I just feel like myself. Once I started learning Hasidus, I felt like I found myself in Hasidus. And I said, I don't want to say I found myself in this guy, but like, I could just be myself. And she's like, it's you're getting engaged to this guy. And I had only met him like three, four times. And I was like, no, 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 but I can't. I have to date 10 times and I have to like, whatever. And she's like, whatever, it's fine. You could date him another 10 times, but I'm telling you, you're marrying him. And I'm like, for me, shut up. I don't want to hear about it. She's like, no, 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 you're marrying him. And I was talking to another fan. She's like, oh, so you're getting engaged. I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, oh, come on, you're getting engaged. I'm like, what? Like, I didn't see it, but like, they saw it. And, and then the next day he, he proposed and I was like, I'm not ready for this, but like, whatever, you know, I did say yes. And he proposed in a very cute way. So if you want to hear my proposal story, it's very cute. I don't know if anyone has to leave us really. Yes. Okay. Last story. Oh, yes. Oh, okay. I feel like my shape is falling off my head. Is all my hair sticking out? Okay, fine.
Okay. Sometimes I'm gonna go to that corner and then we'll continue. Okay. Is that okay? Sure, no problem. I keep on forgetting that I have this here. This way? Yes. Oh, but everyone here is not gonna be in it. Oh, oh wow. Everybody here. One, two. wasn't feeling well. No, it was after the Thomas. It was after the Thomas. Did you ever go? Okay, so I started learning Hasidus. I started learning Hasidus when I was like seventh, eighth grade, and then my my brother went to the Rebbe Yudalif Nisim when I was in eighth grade. It was already after. I don't know the dates, but after like one of the strokes or something. And the Rebbe wasn't coming out. The Rebbe was only coming out on the balcony. Now, I what it was, no, it was way before Nun Gimel. Because um, Nun Gimel, wait, Nun Gimel was when Gimel Thomas happened. Okay. Oh, on Union? Like what about the one on Eastern Parkway? I saw the river when he came out on Eastern Parkway. There was like a little balcony over there. That was Nungimel? Okay. Nungimel. And then. Oh, okay. So this was Yud Aleph of Yud Aleph Nisa Nungimel. Make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my brother. Um, told me, so then I was older than I thought I was. My brother told me he was going and I wasn't, I wasn't like sure if I wanted to go. I was still learning. I was still, but he was like, come. And I, I was, because I wasn't so into it, my parents weren't against it yet because I wasn't, you know, like they didn't, they, they weren't worried about it. So I went with him and the Rebbe came out for a very short amount of time. And that was it. I, I, that was it. I had never gone for dollars. I had never gone, you know, back uh, after that was Gimel Thomas. And I, Gimel Thomas really threw me for a loop. It was very, very hard for me because that whole year I had been learning the Sikhus of Nun Aleph and Nun And I was very, you know, there was an energy in the ear I, I wasn't in Crown Heights, I don't know, but in, at least from what I was learning from my brother, that like, Mashiach is coming. Like people would ask me, oh, what are you doing this summer? And I'd be like, Mashiach is coming for the yeah. summer. <laughs> like, no, really, because it was so, like there was, there was only one way forward, you know? Like that's, at least that's what I understood. There's only one way forward. Like Mashiach is coming and the Rebbe's standing up and like, that's it. Like, and to me, like, and I remember one of my friends asked me, you know, like, Gitty, like, I think you're being a little delusional because, like, the Rebbe is very, very sick. And what's if he dies? And I'm like, what's if he dies? Like, I just, I didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't like, it was like, tell me, what's if the sun falls to the earth tomorrow? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it just wasn't a possibility. 
And then Gibble Thomas happened. And, you know, I, I think obviously it was traumatic for everybody in Crime Heights, but I was myself in Bar Park. Like I was really, really alone. And I felt really, really alone. And I felt like nobody reacted. To you. People reacted. A lot of people came to the Leviah, people, but it wasn't, they didn't have what they weren't losing, what I was losing. And it almost made me go back to square one because everything I'd been learning was you know, an elephant and base. And I was like, I felt like the rug was pulled out from underneath me. And I was like, if this is, if this is not true, or this is not like, because I, I didn't understand like how this was going to progress forward, then, then maybe all of it is not true. And maybe I'm back to square one. And this is how I knew that Hasidus really changed my life in a very um, essential way. Because I remember thinking to myself, okay, fine. So I'm going back to what I felt like before I even learned Hasidus. And I'm just going to Manhattan and I'm going back to that plan of like Juilliard and right. And I was like, not live a from life like I'm a yid like this is my yachita this is my like I like it wasn't I remember like wishing that I could feel like I could go and like forget all of it and just become not from and I and I, I just couldn't like I couldn't like it was just like you're not going to be you like who are you going to be like you, you this is who you are like however this makes sense or however it doesn't make sense it really didn't make sense that summer I didn't end up going to camp it was the summer of 11th going into 12th grade. I didn't want to go to camp. I didn't want to like see anyone. I didn't want to, I stopped learning. I like, sh I was like, I'm just shutting my brain off. I'm just shutting my brain off and I'm not learning because I just couldn't like wrap my head around it. And then Tishrei came and we had to go back to school and I'm like, okay, I have to start learning again. I have to start. And I really, I remember I got, got a cassette. I don't know why. It's so funny because I think of myself as like more intellectual person and, and I just needed like an emotional break. Really, that's what I needed. Um, I got Chaim Fogelman put out this cassette where he sang like, oh, Rebbe, oh, Rebbe, we, like a few of these songs. And I don't know how, who gave it to me. And I put it on one day and I just like cried my eyes out like for six hours. And like the next morning, I was just like, you don't understand this. You don't understand, like you learned to nullify in base, and it was so clear that this is what's going to happen, and we're right at Mashiach, and we're coming to Mashiach, and like it was so clear and so real to me. I said, but, but you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like Tanya is still Tanya, and Hasidus is still Hasidus, and Mashiach has to come. You know, pre Thomas post. This is this is what has to be, and and you know that this is what you need in your life. You know that you need Hasidus in order, like this is like oxygen for you.